Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the president of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's attorney, over 60 judges, our water reclamation district commissioners, which I'm trying to get Ben to uh, go for, still hasn't done it yet, and changes to our taxes. With all these races, candidates, and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com. Pull it up on your laptop, take it with you into the voting booth on your phone, and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for. chicagovotes.com. How's it going, everybody? Happy Friday. The Ben Jarofsky Show is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this podcast. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. They are sponsors. Yes, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, are sponsors as well. And you know what? Our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor, they're sponsors. How cool is that? If you're listening to this and you own a business or you're a big wig at a union and you want to sponsor the Ben Jarofsky show, bring it. Come on, let's do it. We'd love to sponsor you. Benny J show at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show at gmail.com. And uh, to hear more from the artist you just heard there, Michael Girardi, he made songs for the Ben Jarofsky show. Look for Mike Girardi Bandcamp, G-E-R-A-R-D-I Bandcamp, and you'll have about like 10 songs from Michael Girardi. You can download them and play them as much as you want. All right, Ben, you have a song of the day, and it does come from Frank. Your song of the day, Rocket Man by Elton John. Oh, Rocket Man, Elton John, Ellie, as uh, we call him. Hold on, we have a sip of water. Okay. Ah, Here we go. Rocket Man is not to be confused with Space Oddity by David Bowie. <clears throat> Rocket Man, whoa, Rocket Man, oh, I think I will. Oh, Rocket Man, uh, something else happens. Rocket Man, yeah. and that is not to be confused with actual singing. Good Lord. I do like Rocket Man. When it comes on the radio, Frank, I'm like, Rocket Man. One time I pulled up at a stoplight and it wasn't Rocket Man. It was uh, the other one. Uh, this is my song and I give it to you or whatever it's called. My gift is this, whatever. You all know what it is. And I'm singing it, like pouring out my heart. I look up and some lady looking at me. Oh, boy, that was embarrassing. Anyway, Rocket Man, one of the great, one of my greatest hits, Steve. Rocket Man. <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. All right. <laughs> it is Friday, October 16th. 
and live from my apartment in his attic, this <laughs> is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Romana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Romana Hussein. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Madtown Town Friday. And here's why. 20 days left to go, repeat, 20 days left to go until the election showdown. I think it's 20 days. It could be 19. I don't know, I've lost track. It's actually 18. Oh my God, I really lost track. <laughs> yeah, there went that intro. <laughs> uh, we're going to redo that for the podcast. <laughs> Anyway, everybody, uh, Rami, people are voting already. Early voting, they call it. They could have had this election four years ago. People were ready to vote then. The anti-Trump crowd, man, they were ready to vote him out of office even before he got sworn in. I can tell you right now, if they had called an election February 1st, 2017, there have been lines of, long lines of people ready to vote him out. Great column uh, in today's bright one, Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered as always by Mark Brown. Uh, the Sun-Times is in pink. Uh, it's sort of a Sun-Times pages are in pink in recognition of National uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I'm all for that. And uh, but I'll tell you something, it's hard reading a newspaper in pink, D. OK, now every every millennial in Chicago is going, told you. That's why I read it online. Told you. They didn't put it in pink online. Anyway, excellent column by Mark Brown. Pretty funny stuff. Mark Brown, columnist for uh, the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, and he talks about how he lined up at his polling place in Uptown uh, to vote. Very, he's dutiful. He's going to go out and vote. I'm going to hit that <laughs> cricket hill about, I don't know, 40 times. And then I'm going to go vote. Come on now. Aren't we supposed to forget that, D? Aren't we supposed to forget <laughs> that Mark Brown made that preposterous claim that he ran up Cricket Hill 15 times? No one believes him. I mean, that was months ago, 15 times. I'm sure he's up to like, you know, 30. Yes, he's up to 30 by now. Right. In fact, you hear that sound? That's Mark going up the hill. Now here's the other sound. <laughs> That's Mark going down the hill. Anyway, forget his run. We're not talking about Mark Brown as uh, athlete, okay? We're talking Mark Brown as outstanding columnist. I thought it was a funny column about how he waited two hours. He starts with this. It took me two hours and seven minutes to early vote this week at Truman College in Uptown, only five minutes of which involved actually filling out the ballot. That's pretty funny, but he's fast. Five minutes? I'm like so slow. I'm like, I got to make sure. Okay, in this case, gotta make sure I voted for Joey. Got and I like double check it. That's, that's kind of this weird part of me, D. You know, always like I'm afraid I left the door open. Hold on, let me check the door. No, it's closed. Bit of a germaphobe as well. I got some issues, man. So I'm like, I'm not five minutes in and out, Mark Brown. I'm like, good. Make sure I voted for Joey. Then I gotta make sure I voted for Kim Fox. Don't want to vote for that whacked out dude pat o'brien gotta make sure i vote yes on the fair tax gotta vote for dickie d dick Durbin. you know what i'm saying d yeah, you got people you waiting judge. behind you hey douchebag hurry up <laughs> just vote pick one you're right although i'm going to be voting on the election day my prediction would be uh short lines on election day d that's my prediction could be wrong in fact we could miss the show on election day because you and i are both waiting in a line 
Should we be late that day, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, I'll bring my board. I'll bring my board to the election uh, booth. Oh, my God. Plug it in. I'm here at the election booth. That is a great idea. We're doing live. (laughs) Live from Irving Park Road, where I'm voting. Uh, With me is precinct captain Billy Bob. I'm not on the best of relations with the 47th Ward Democrats. Just saying that. I got into a big argument with a couple of their precinct oh, workers. Yeah, you and Billy Bob boys <laughs> had that beef for so long. Yeah, well, they were. They loved Rom. Oh, God, did they love Rom. Anyway, all right. Going back to Mark Brown's uh, very funny column today. Uh, so it took uh, me two hours and seven minutes to early vote this week at Truman College in Uptown, only five minutes of which involved actually filling out the ballot. The rest of the time was spent waiting outdoors in a long line that moved at a glacial pace, followed by a shorter wait indoors. Yes, this is why I should have taken the advice to vote by mail, but I wasn't ready to do that. And only my wife gets to say, quote, I told you so, unquote, because she really did tell me so. And the rest of you were just thinking it. That's that's good stuff, man. That's I, Mark Brown. That was funny. That made me chuckle because there's always somebody. I told you so. That's the thing. People don't want to feel sorry for you. You know. So you have a complaint, and they're like, you can just see their brains working. Like, there's a lot of stuff going wrong in the world. Do I want to feel sorry for this guy? No, I don't want to feel. So then they go, well, you, you should have known, or if you had looked on the internet, you would have seen. <laughs> and then it's, I told you. I've been known to do. I told you so. Anyway. Uh, there's uh, all kinds of reasons uh, why uh, people are waiting in lines uh, throughout uh, the country. Uh, and their people are really fired up to vote. But in Chicago, <laughs> excuses, uh, there's really no good excuse. According to Mark Brown, at his particular polling place, three out of nine machines were broken. Now, you can't blame that on Trump, ladies and gentlemen. He had nothing to do with that. And here's the funny thing. I talk about this on the show all the time. Republicans, Donnie Trump, uh, right-wingers, MAGA hat wearers, Amy Coney Barrett, they're all into playing the victim card. They all want to pretend like they're being picked on. Johnny Cass's column today was hilarious. Like, they're picking on Donald Trump. They're picking on me. Always crying and whining. But in reality, their best friends are the people who are against them. Like, the Democrats who run the city of Chicago, three out of nine are broken? How could that possibly, they just started the election. You know, you figure, okay, it broke down for use. You know what I'm saying, They Like, oh, I'm exhausted. It's like Mark Brown going up that hill for the 40th time is exhausted, right? So you can understand if like a month in, the voting booths, the voting machines are broken, but we just started. How can you already start? Oh, they're already broken. Man. Chicago, that don't get me started on Chicago Democrats. It's like they want to lose. Anyway, I'm going to be cool and calm, and I'm moving on to the other great column in today's newspaper. Some of my liberal friends are starting to panic. They're getting nervous, case in point. Eric Zorn, good friend of the show, Eric Zorn. Easy. Uh, easy. That's what we call him on this show, Easy. Eric Zorn, uh, for years, he held down the liberal front at the Chicago Tribune. Man, he should be, they should give him like battle pay for that. Can you imagine Christmas parties at the Tribune office? Eric Zorn, poor Eric Zorn, surrounded by all those right wingers mm-hmm. complaining. Yeah, poor Eric, man. No wonder he was drinking the, the eggnog. Let me get at that eggnog. I'm sure he gets along with his colleagues now. 
I didn't say he didn't get along with him. I'm just saying be pain in the neck to have to deal with him. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Said he'd get along with him. Didn't say that at all. That's fake news. Anyway, uh, here's uh, the uh, uh, headline in uh, the Tribune on Eric Zorn's column. Flashback. Biden's commanding lead in the polls mirrors Clinton's phantom lead in 2016. Translation. Ah, I'm scared. I'm very scared. Ah. I'm going to read you uh, the takeaway, Eric's takeaway. You can give Eric credit. He sifted through all these polls in 2020 and then compared them to the polls in 2016. Good God, the guy must have been up all night reading polls. Here's the, uh, the big takeaway, D. Quote, maybe pollsters in 2016 were using outdated, misleading survey methodologies. Maybe a significant number of respondents lied to them because they were embarrassed to admit their support for the vulgar, mendacious Trump. Maybe a decisive number of Clinton backers didn't bother to vote because, like me, they thought her victory was secure. Maybe the news on October 28, 2016, that the FBI was once again looking into the issue of Clinton's emails changed some minds, energized Trump supporters, and depressed Clinton voters. Who knows? What we do know is that if you compare the mid-October polling averages in key states in 2016 with the election results some three weeks later, you see Trump moved the gap between himself and Clinton in his favor across the board. Uh, it boils down to this. Ah! I'm scared. I'm very scared. I've had people on the show who look at the polls and draw the opposite conclusion. Monroe Anderson, Dan Cohen, I urge everybody to check out the, the interview I did with him. What was that, Tuesday, D? Poster yes. Danny C., Dan Cohen. Um, and, of course, David Ferris, who was on the show yesterday. Uh, they take a look at the polls and draw different conclusions. But, you know, the reality is this. Monroe Anderson, Dan Cohen, uh, David Ferris, uh, Easy Eric Zorn. None of them know. Absolutely no one knows how undecided voters in Michigan are going to go. I can't believe there's any undecided voters up there at all. My guess is I'm leaning a little toward Eric that they're hiding their affection for Trump because they know there's something to be ashamed of. <laughs> like e even now they realize, you know, yeah, this guy, I mean, they take a look like last night at that so-called, well, it wasn't a debate. It was a town hall. He was out of his mind as always. And they're like, yeah, I can't vote for him. I don't, or at least I can't let anybody know I vote for him. But no one knows. No one knows how this thing is going to break. It's just gut feelings you have. And all of us are trying to not to freak out. Some of us make it through the day. And then here comes Eric, and we're all like, ah! I can just see all of liberal friends passing this column around. Look at this. No. By the way, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that Nate Cohen, who is the uh, the pollster writer for the sh uh, the New York Times, realizes that the more he frightens Democrats, the more hits he gets. So he's always he Nate Cohen has been uh, championing this theme that Eric makes. In fact, Nate Cohen puts into his columns like if the polls today are like the polls were four years ago, then you know Trump's doing a lot better. Uh, but then he has this other thing: if the polls today are like the polls in two thousand and twelve. Then Biden would do better because apparently there was an underrepresentation for Barack Obama in 2012, a, a point that none of us remember because we weren't freaking out.
over the election of Barack Obama. Most of us, I'm, I assume Eric's in the same category, uh, supported Barack Obama. In fact, I know Eric's in that category. So, um, you know, so they asked. There's some validity to that. But the, rea- the reality is that nobody knows. So I know that my liberal friends are passing around uh, Eric Zorn's column. They're all freaking out. They're all scared. And, you know, in a way, I welcome it. I've said this before. I'll say it again. If that little bit of terrifying news from Eric Zorn motivates you, if that horrific blast from the past is an inspiration, then, yes, take it. Get out there and write a postcard and make a call or contribute money or go knock on doors. Well, nobody's knocking on doors anymore, but you get the very idea. Or, you know what, at the very least, Stand in line to vote against Trump. Two hours if necessary. Four hours if necessary. In Chicago, what the hell? They'll help you. Man, break this bottle. <laughs> Chicago. Oh, there's an election going on? Wait a minute. Hold on. We have a big election going on? Everybody's freaking out? Oh, maybe it'd be a good idea to have all nine voting machines working. Chicago, they open up the polling. D, they, the thing's been open for a day and already three machines are broken. <laughs> You know. (laughs) All right, boss. We're all ready. We're good to go. Hey, wait. Hold on. Bad news. It's broken. (laughs) Oh, let's open the doors anyway. Good news, ladies and gentlemen. They always have these. Good news. The doors opened and people lined up to vote. Yeah, but three of the machines were broken. Poor Mark Brown's in line for two hours plus. Sorry, boss. I dropped it. Oh, my God. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, if being scared is what motivates you to action, then be scared. Be very scared. We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein is going to be. And I'll tell you what, Ramana's not scared. Oh, no. Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> she's not, Well, she's right now taking that hill. She's going to show uh, Mark Brown how to run that hill. So she's going to do <laughs> 50 laps up that hill. How about that, D? 50 Whoa. of them. <laughs> she's going to show Mark Brown how to take You know, I used to run that hill, D, you know, back in the day. You know that, don't you? I used to, I used to take crazy. Hey, well, you got to like, what, five or six times, right? <laughs> what, eight on a good day? Uh, there was a time in the 90s. There was a time. That's a James Brown song. Um, there was a time in the 90s when I was doing uh, 10 hills, 10 hills. Oh. Not the 15 that Mark Brown claims to do, but anyway, enough on that. As Mark Brown or Romano Hussein would tell you, it's time to get down to business. It's time for the news with the young man from Alton that everyone fondly calls Dr. D. Thanks, buddy. It's Dennis. Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois for the fourth and final time this week, we need to plug our Benny J bonus interviews oh, dropping man. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, and mostly wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Here's the lineup. Saturday, an awesome interview, and one that I mistakenly said would be available for download on Thursday night. My apologies. I'm a, 
habitual Thursday night interview teaser, Ben. <laughs> My bad. But it will be available this Saturday morning, tomorrow. It's with our city council beat reporter, Dave Glowatz. He gave us a recap on uh, the October 7th Chicago City Council meeting. Yeah, I love these interviews, and uh, I know I'm not alone. Uh, see, I spend so much of my time uh, obsessed with national politics. Uh, it's it's rare that I take the deep dive into local politics, uh, which is I spent 30 years doing. And uh, so, Dave, this I welcome these uh, interviews with Dave because he uh, sits through, he sifts through the meetings, he gets the relative relevant clips to play, uh, and then we just riff on it. And it's it's amazing. Wait, hold on. Oh. Allow the brown line to pass. Oh. Yeah. There we go. There we go. The brown line has passed. Uh, it's amazing how little, uh, how so much is the same, I should say. You know, here we are in the middle of a pandemic. Here we are trying to oust uh, this tyrannical lunatic uh, in Donald John Trump. Uh, here we are um, trying to pass a fair tax so we can adequately uh, find ways to fund our government. Do we want to go broke? or uh, tax middle class and working class and poor people out of existence. Here we are, all these struggles in the city council, still the city council. It's like a, like a, it really is one step removed from a high school cafeteria where there's like the kids that are in with the teacher, in this case, uh, teacher being Lori Lightfoot. And then there's the kids who are kind of rebellious or bunctious. Uh, in this case, Raylo. Raymond Lopez of all people. Uh, and uh, and then there's the, the kids who are in with the teacher, don't like the kids who are rebellious, and they just look, they start, you know, picking at each other. Wee, wee. Only in, in this, the city council, they like hide their rancor behind their, uh, like, they cloak it, like these principles. They try to find principles that kind of adequately state why they just don't like each other. You know, like principles like, uh, greater representation for uh, the legislative branch or more efficiency uh, in a city. So shut up and sit down. And uh, it's, it's delightful stuff. And, you know, Dean, it's important stuff. It, de it uh, determines how much we all pay in taxes, et cetera, and how our uh, money is distributed, but it's relatively saner than the madness going on in Washington. So I welcome in. And Dave Glowatz does a great job. Uh, and there's like a five, I think he's got five clips that he played, D, that we riffed on. My recollection is correct. Five, maybe six. Anyway, good stuff, Dave Glowatz. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. <laughs> By the way, D, can I, I don't think this is part of your, um, your news for today. I don't think it is. Uh, we did, had a pre-show meeting, but it was a while ago. Things may have changed, so I could be stepping on your toes right now. But there was an article in the Sun-Times that I was able to read, despite the uh, pink color of the page, about the mayor, a PR guy, building on her brand. Did you see this, Michael? Yeah, I saw that. Um, I didn't uh, put it in the news, though. Yeah, so go ahead. Uh, Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I just, uh, listening to... That exchange, which we only know because someone leaked it uh, at a meeting that shouldn't have happened because it was violating the open meeting. I see you love Chicago, ladies and gentlemen. This is the middle of a pandemic. Here's what we're going to do. We have rules governing when the, the public's right to know about our meetings. We're just going to ignore all those rules, have a meeting. And then the like 45 people, all of them showed up for this virtual meeting. And then the mayor's people were like, well, you know, it wasn't a real city council meeting because they were acting more as community reps. Then they get these lawyers to come up with anything. 
Anyway, uh, in that meeting, there was that exchange between um, Raylo and uh, Lori Lightfoot, which I find delightful, D, because it's sort of like just uh, exposes how Chicago works and what they think about each other. Uh, and, and of course, it's the last thing they're going to promote. But they're trying to, the, as they try to rebrand Chicago, that's what the article is about, rebranding Chicago. God, I have lived through at least three rebrandings of Chicago. Chicago's always trying to, because Chicago has is, is got this, like, self-consciousness. It doesn't like who it is. You know, Chicago is a segregated, racist town where people have big temper tantrums. Remember the judge? The judge. Remember the Columbus statue fight in the West Side Park? What a judge, a retired judge who's now, I think he's got a business where he resolves conflict, conflict resolution, and mediation. He got mad at some hippie protester and threw a punch at the guy. That's Chicago. That is like the quintessential Chicago. Nobody likes anybody else. They all live in their little tribes. Like you go to a neighborhood, they go, what neighborhood are you from? Where are you from? What's your parish? That's Chicago. Everybody hates everybody else. But they're always rebranding it. So after council wars in the 80s, when uh, Chicago elected a black man as its mayor, white people freaked out and revolted, tried to sabotage government. They felt the need to rebrand Chicago. Everybody gets long in Chicago. Remember they put the cows? Oh, this is before your time, D. You were, you, you were like 10. Millennials don't know what I'm talking about. They actually thought a good way to rebrand Chicago, its image, they put these cows out. I'm not kidding. Like, not literal cows, but statues of cows out. Oh. Everybody's like, oh, God, what a nice city we are. We're, oh, cows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love this oh, place. And then flowers. That was Daly's thing. We're going to put flowers in the middle of the road, and that way it would be nice, okay? It will look nice. Everybody will forget how segregated we are and racist we are. Cows. They, cows, dude, I'm not making that up. I know you millennials are out there going, no way. You're making that. I'm telling you. They rebranded Chicago, by putting a, and they call it Cows and Parade. Tribune must have written a billion stories about Cows and Parade. <laughs> Oh, my God, the tribute. I've been reading it for all these years, D. Anyway, they're always rebranding. Then Rom rebranded. As soon as Rom got in office. Horses. He did horses. No, I don't know. <laughs> no, Rom's thing was we're going to be a national city. Rom's thing, he sat Karen Lewis down. He just got elected. He told her, here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell those little commies in your union to shut up and take a pay cut and shut up while we close public schools and give contracts to my pals in the charter industry and you're going to tell them to like it. That's what he told her in private and in public. He's like, and we're going to rebrand Chicago. We're going to make it an international city. We have NATO meeting here. What a joke. But it was like three days. They, they like troops in Chicago. <laughs> hippies fighting the police, police beating up hippies. Nobody was like, are you kidding? It's the same old Chicago. So they're always rebrand. Now they're going to rebrand Chicago along the lines of the mayor, D. That's, that's what they're going to do. Everybody loves the, like the tough, the memes, you know. We're going to try to figure out a way to connect Lori to Chicago. Good luck with that rebranding. I'm sure if I live long enough, I'll live through a fourth rebranding of Chicago. 
So back to that Saturday interview. You should download it at both Chicago. So you went on a rant there, sir. At both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Dave Glowatz with the City Council Synopsis. On to our Sunday bonus. He's a gardening guru with the progressive edge. He's host of the Mike Novak Show. Mike Novak. Ben, we're going to be talking to him after today's show. What are you planning on talking with about? uh, Environmental news. Michael T. Novak. Is that his middle name starts with a T? No, I just. No, I like that. That sounds good. That sounds good. (laughs) Michael. Michael Thomas Novak. That sounds (laughs) good. News. Novak's hilarious, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, He's been in radio forever. Uh, and uh, we're going to start. We're going to talk ostensibly about environment. But Lord, he's probably going to go on a riff. We don't call him rants, D. We call him riffs. Oh, sorry. So he'll, sorry. I'm sure he'll get Novak going on like street lamps. Uh, Mike Novak's an environmentalist. He's got compost heat. That's how much of an environmentalist <laughs> he is. You got a compost heat? I'm not talking about the garbage in your living room. I'm talking about a literal compost heap. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no garbage in these living room. Now, I know at the at the surface, that doesn't sound too great. What are you guys talking about? Turds and light posts? No, it's going to be very good. Mike Novak is a very, he's a very he's educated funny. man. No, he's funny. He can go on these riffs. That's all I'm saying about, like, the street lights are too bright. And what why that is. Oh, don't get him started on ROM. Don't get him started on ROM and the environmental program. The city of Chicago is supposed to be such a liberal city, progressive ideas and environmentalism. Got one of the worst track records in the world. So, yeah, Mike Novak, we're talking environmentals. I'm sure I'm sure we'll uh, get into a lot of local talk as well. Mike Let's picture Novak. someone driving, uh, listening to the show. Oh, finally, someone's talking compost <laughs> and light posts. My hey, favorite you know posts. I'm going to tell you about Michael T. Novak made a career out of talking about compost heaps. Don't kid yourself, D. A lot of people are in the comp- compost heap. Now, I'm pers- personally not one of them, okay? But I'm just saying, a lot of people are. So that's Can our you su- put coffee grounds in the compost heap? Ooh. Remember when I used to do the uh, call-ins about uh, solar? Remember those days, D? Oh, yeah, solar? yeah, the radio days. Yeah, before they fired me? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, people would call in, man. People were into solar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. With uh, yeah, our good friend uh, Lisa Albright. Yeah, she's awesome. And uh, people, I'm like, okay, let's talk solar. I, I didn't know anything about solar. What do I know about solar? People call it in. Phone. De- Dennis would be like, uh, call us at two 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 four five eight. Oh. <laughs> okay. I sound nothing like that, but. <laughs> And there was a guy there that was talking solar, too. Uh, I don't remember his name, but I remember you called him Solar Boy. That was a name you gave. <laughs> I did not call. All right, so that's our Sunday interview. Mike Novak, available uh, at, by 5 a.m. on Sunday. And finally, on Monday, it's her long-awaited return. And it could very well be her first pandemic Ben Jarofsky show appearance. Maybe, yes. maybe not. It, it is. Yes. Okay. It's our favorite mm-hmm. political activist, Amisha Patel of grassroots collaborative. We'll be talking with her also uh, after the show. What are you planning on talking fair about? Tax. F T fair tax. Everything you need to know about the fair tax, why it's important, why we need it, what the uh, arguments are against it contrived. I would say, uh, the forces that are lined up against it, you know, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not pleased 
with the campaign being run um, to promote the fair tax. Probably talk about that. But it's really important, in my humble opinion, to pass a fair tax. We've got to figure out a way to adequately. We'll probably be talking about this uh, in the news. So I'll well, hold off, D. Hold my thoughts. There you go. There you go. Oh, hold off. Uh, but uh, Misha Patel. Yeah, I love Amisha Patel. She's super smart, uh, very dedicated, committed activist. She used to come on the show all the time. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I just, I, you know, I, I'm, I do all the booking and I just. You know, I just, uh, well, we have fewer guests since we moved uh, to the attic. Yeah. Uh, and we just, um, so anyway, I just called her up to go. She's like, finally. I go, wait a minute. Well, honestly, lucky for her, she got to uh, avoid the whole attic uh, crappy phone phase. We figured out, we figured this out. We got Google Meet now. You know what I mean? Can we give a little shout out to Easy Eric Zarn for that? Easy. He was the motivation for that. Come on, boys, get know. your shit together. Okay, Eric. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, thank you, Eric Zorn, for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I'm looking for Misha Patel, super smart, uh, super committed, grassroots activist uh, here in the city of Chicago, unafraid to take on the man. That'll be available Monday morning by 5 a.m. It's this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Look for them at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. All right, so we have a few things to discuss in the local news. Let's get to it. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker is out of the house and out on the road today. Don't believe me? Well, consider these facts. Okay, take it easy, J.B. <laughs> Sorry. He's a little feisty. He's a little feisty today. And, J.B. And right now, as we speak, Governor Pritzker is in Elgin. Illinois. He's there to announce funding for welcoming centers to help support Illinois' immigrant community. Ben, uh, we had a little pre-show meeting. You have a little history with Elgin, Illinois. Yes, I've been there. It's one of the few towns in Illinois I've been to, other than Skokie and Evanston. Uh, Yeah, I uh, I know Ben's world. Uh, The north side of Chicago, Skokie, Evanston. That pretty much sums it up. Love Skokie. Uh, Anyway, What's that? I said, okay. Any memories there of Elgin? Maybe your yeah, reefer days? Great. great uh, they were my reefer days. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. So not a lot of sharp memories, but uh, I fell in with a crew of kids from Elgin and I'd go out there quite frequently and hang out, smoke the reefer. Yeah, man. Listen to the Almond Brothers. Well, Have a good time. Maybe Elgin, that's what man. JB's doing right now in Elgin. Now, well, after he's done with that speech, you know. I don't know. He's a he's not an Almond Brother guy. He loves the Eagles and Steve Miller band. Oh, he's that's Almond right. Brother guy, you know. So. All right, so he's going to be in Elgin giving that speech, and I wouldn't be surprised if he also brought up his fair tax initiative proposal. Mm-hmm. He's been pushing it all year. He spent over fifty six million dollars campaigning for it, and it is on the November third ballot. But if you're still on the fence about the Fair Tax Initiative, a proposed tax amendment to the Illinois state constitution that would change the state income tax system from a flat tax to a graduated income tax, today you're in luck because the Pritzker administration recently gave us a quick crash course on how the fair tax would work if passed. People, it's time for a fair tax update. Fair tax update. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Governor Pritzker just released his tax returns. And hey, everybody, guess what? Yeah, he's richer than all of us. Uh, The following comes from the Chicago Tribune and Dan Petrella. 
The Pritzkers had until Thursday to file their taxes after receiving an extension. And now the records show that Pritzker and his wife, MK, had $2.4 million in state taxable income in 2019. But that's down from nearly $4.4 million in 2018. The Pritzkers personally owed $118,255 in state taxes and $419,853 to the federal government in 2018. Well, 118,000 to the state and 419,000 to the feds. Is that mm-hmm. what you said? I was, mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. I'll just point out. <laughs> I would just point out that's 118,000 more uh, than, uh, excuse me, I'll do, I'll do the national. That's 419,000 more than Donnie Trump paid. Just point that out. Just pointing that out there. Young Donald Trump got every, uh, used every sleazy movie he could figure with his accountants uh, to dodge the tax man. Uh, and so as a result, J.B. Pritzker has to pay a little more. And so will uh, Dr. D. And so will I. Just wanted to point that out. Uh, if you dodge the tax man, somebody else has to pick up uh, the burden because the obligations have to be paid. Uh, so, yeah, I... Um, I got a feeling JB may be dodging the tax man a little bit uh, himself. As I'll let you uh, continue with the news story, young man. By the we'll way, did you hear that, that fast math Drowski just did there? Who needs you, Dan Biss? <laughs> <Young. laughs> no, nah, come on, Dan. We love you. You're the only, you're the master of mathematics. All I knew is that 419000 is a heck of a lot more than 750, which is what Donnie Trump paid in taxes in 2016. Go ahead. Now the Tribune piece goes on to say that this may not paint a full picture of the governor and his wife's vast wealth. And they remind us that much of which is held in domestic and offshore trusts, which many of which were set up, which many of which were set up in the Bahamas by his grandfather. I'm not a perfect person. But hey, let's get to the fair tax portion of this. Wait, can I just say this? Grandpa Pritzker was no fool. Yeah, apparently not. Grandpa's like, hey, hey, here's what you do. We're going to kick it to the Bahamas. We dodge the tax man. All right. I got you covered. Grandkids. Hey, I was born at night, but not last night. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Grandpa Pritzker. He's cut from the same cloth as Trump. Here's what we're going to (laughs) do. Everybody's dodging that tax, man. Duck and dodge. JB, tuck your shirt in. (laughs) Sit up when you eat. Grandpa Pritzker. <laughs> Grandpa Pritzker. He knew how he knew how to duck the tax man. Oh, this is a place called the Bahamas, little JB. Uh, here's it's what you do. JB. You put money in the Bahamas, JB. Listen up. All right, now straighten your tie. Come on. All right. Wait, let, who, that's kind of Bernie-esque, yeah, by the way. I, yeah, I kind of, it's a good one. I like it. <laughs> Grandpa Pritzker. Now, new character in the Ben Jarowski show. Yeah, with go, Phyllis. Go Phyllis get, and Grandpa Pritzker getting together. Hi, Grandpa. I'm like you. I want to dodge the tax man, too. Now, if the fair tax proposal is approved on November 3rd, new higher rates on higher incomes would kick in January 1st. A top rate under a law signed by Pritzker is 7.95%, making more than $1 million. Uh, Now, thanks to the Pritzker campaign, we have learned that if those rates had been in effect in 2019, the Pritzkers and the trust together would have paid an additional... $3.7 $3.7 million in state taxes. Yes. That's the whole point, folks. That's the whole point. I just wrote a reader comma about this. 
I wish the fair tax people, I wouldn't even call it the fair tax. The fair tax is like the worst messaging in the world. I was just talking about this with David Ferris. It's like accentuates the tax part of it as opposed to the break part of it. Because if J.B. Pritzker has to pay $3.7 million more, Dennis and Ben have to pay that a little less. So it's really you're voting for a tax cut for yourself. The great majority of Illinoisans. Is that what it is, D? I've been living here since 1966. I don't even know. Illinoisans? Illinoisans. Or is it a lions? Illinoisans. Illinoisans? There you go. Illa, Illa annoying me is? <laughs> Illa annoyance is? Anyway, the great majority of you out there will pay less. But somehow or other, you're so easily bamboozled by the anti-fair tax commercials featuring Phyllis. <laughs> Phyllis probably got a few uh, investments in the Bahamas. No, I don't know that. Just, I'm sure she doesn't. She wasn't privy to Grandpa Pritzker's advice way back when. Anyway, <laughs> the great majority of you Illinoisans, you know, you're like even though you're going to get a break, you're, there's a lot of you who vote no. Like you believe the stuff they feed you, and so you somehow or other. The, the column Andy Shaw wrote in this the Tribune the other day, D. Come on, Andy. You're better than that. You were raised by good liberals. I, I was really embarrassed to read that. This notion that somehow or other we cannot change the rate structure in Illinois, have a progressive rate until we quote-unquote clean up Illinois. I'm like, I'll work from the assumption. I just talked about it. I talk about it all the time. There's corruption in Illinois. There's corruption in Chicago. There's corruption in every state in the union. You still got to pay the bills, Andy. Those roads aren't going to repave themselves. What? So what? You're just going to continue putting the, the onus on the people who could least afford to pay it? until this miraculous day when somehow or other Illinois and Chicago is free of corruption. Show me one civilization anywhere that's free of corruption. It's like a goal that will never be reached. So I guess that's it. Well, sorry. We're just gonna stick the burden on the people who could at least afford to pay it until we're officially clean of corruption. And I'll let you know when we're officially clean of corruption. So these are just some of the arguments that they're shoving down our throats. And, you know, you got Phyllis coming on TV, doing those commercials, making up stuff, saying that uh, this could lead to taxing retirement income, even though the two aren't connected at all. Old, old people all over the state of Illinois, I better vote no. I heard Phyllis say it. It must be true if Phyllis said it. I heard it on my TV. Ah, hold on, D. You have to have some water. All right, so, JB, here's what you do. You go to the toilets, you rip out all the plumbing. Next thing you know, you'll be saving tons of money. By the way, go cut your fingernails. They're long. I think JB figured that one out on himself. I don't think we can blame Grandpa for that one. Are you talking about Toilet Kate? <laughs> Phyllis is enraged by Toilet Kate. Did you see Toilet Kate? Oh, Phyllis. Yeah, Phyllis. He ripped up the toilets to get a break in his property taxes. 
People are always trying to dodge the tax. I give him credit, though. He's uh, an enemy to his class. They must hate him. D, can you imagine what rich people say about Pritzker when no one's around? Dead mother beep. I'll tell you right, folks. Take a look. Well, I'm going to do this for you. After election day, I'm going to take a look at the 42nd Ward uh, in Chicago. That's the Gold Coast Ward, which is one of the richest wards in the city. I'll look at the 43rd Ward, too. That's Lincoln Park. That's, that's Pritzker country. He lives somewhere around there. We'll see how his neighbors voted. I'll bet you those are the highest votes against the fair tax. There, damn, throwing that out there. I'll bet you the vote is higher against the fair tax in the 42nd and the 43rd Ward than in Republican country, like in the 41st. That's I'm throwing that out there, damn, going on a limb, throwing that out there. Of course, if, you know, I, you know what? I'm going to stand by it, D. I'm going to write that column. I hope I'm, uh, I hope I'm right. I hope the, the, but when I say, I hope I'm right. I hope that means that people in the 41st ward, even though a lot of cops live out there, are going to vote Republican. A lot of firefighters are probably going to vote Republican. They still have enough sense to know that the fair tax means wealthier people pay, uh, the greater portion of the burden than them. We'll see. We shall see. We shall see. And that was a fair tax update. Fair tax update. Springfield College. Hey, not now, Phyllis. <laughs> Come on, Phyllis. <laughs> and hey, what the hell? Since we're talking about money and the 2020 Illinois general election, the numbers are in. And right now in my bearded face, I have some 2020 Illinois candidate campaign finance records. It's time for a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. This is a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. We're playing the hits today, buddy. D, 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 D. All right. Which candidate has the most money? Which candidate has spent the most money? Which candidate has the most money on hand? And hey, which candidate wants to give me and Ben some money? <laughs> yeah. Come on, you cheapskates. Come on. We'll go to your town and talk to you guys. Uh, the magic number is now 18. Only 18 days until Election Day. And today we have campaign fundraising and spending totals for some of the local races that we've been following here on the program for the last couple of months. So let's get right into it here. We begin with the numbers out of the heated congressional rematch in the 13th Congressional District between incumbent Republican Rodney Davis and his Democratic challenger, Betsy Dirksen Londrigan. And despite Rodney Davis's awful commercials, the challenger Dirksen Londrigan has outraised and outspent Rodney Davis. Londrigan raised $1.5 million, spent $2.4 million, and has $1.4 million cash on hand. Rodney Davis has raised $1.2 million, spent $1.4 million, and has raised $1.7 million. So it looks like uh, Londrigan has Davis's number here. Yeah, well, this is a trend that's been happening uh, for since Donnie Trump got elected. And uh, like I pointed this out at the top of the show, Democrats were ready <laughs> to redo the 2016 election almost as soon as it happened. And uh, so one of the things they did is organize, go knock on doors, make phone calls, write postcards. The other thing is kick in money. Uh, and uh, so Betsy Dirksen Londrigan's uh, race is viewed as a winnable race. 
it's you know it's kind of unfair i mean it's not unfair it's it's i guess called smart politicking they uh they judge the democratic uh pollsters judge which race is most winnable and then they rate them and then uh donors in arizona who know nothing about illinois or they just want the democrat to win go okay i'm told that betsy jerks and Londrigan can win i'll kick her some money uh, so uh, that's been going on uh, for a while. The, that was, I think it was true in 2018, but here's the part of the story, uh, the other part of the story. The gerrymandering in the state gives a huge advantage to Rodney Davis. So uh, Betsy Dirksen Londrigan is, is running in a, uh, a district that was set up to benefit a Republican. You know, I've said it once, I'll say it again. I believe in a fair map as an ideal. I believe in a fair map, a nationwide fair map. You just have computer draw them. Let the chips fall where they may. And uh, that means that uh, there wouldn't be any, quote unquote, safe seats. How about that? But the, the, the fair map system we have now, it's only suckers and saps like Democrats in Illinois who are for it. Republicans in Wisconsin and Michigan aren't for it or North Carolina aren't for it. So until it's, until it's a nationwide thing, we're going to have this uh, very partisan map-drawn districts uh, where a guy like Rodney Davis is at a disadvantage. I mean, excuse me, has a huge advantage. And uh, Betsy Dursing-Landrigan is trying to make up for it uh, with uh, sensational fundraising. So those are the numbers out of the 13th Congressional District race. Coming up after our interview with Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussain, not one, not two, but three campaign ads to play from mm. Betsy Dirksen Londrigan. So be on the lookout for that. All right, now on to the 14th District. Democrat Lauren Underwood versus challenger Jim the Ice Cream Man Oberweiss. Uh, who raised more money? Well, we got the police coming by my apartment here. Hold on. Who raised more money? Lauren Underwood, $1.8 million. Who spent more money? Lauren Underwood, $2.7 million. And who has more cash on hand? Guys, it's Lauren Underwood, $2.3 million. Oberweiss raised $986,000, spent $485,000, and has $876,000 cash on hand. But... Give it time. I'm sure he'll start forking over more of his own money in no time. He's really rich, everybody. <laughs> yeah, he's an absolute disgrace, Jim Overwise. If uh, I'm really rooting for Lauren Under, we talked about this yesterday. He's running hate-filled commercials, stupid commercials, uh, trying to play on racial animosity. That's that's his ticket. Shame on you, Jim Oberweiss, and shame on any voter in the 14th Congressional Falls for it. Go, Lauren Underwood. Sorry, D. Got a little partisan there. Uh-huh. The show should be not partisan. Well, pretend it's NPR. And in the 14th Congressional District, interesting race. Jim Oberweiss, his family made money in ice cream. Lauren yeah. Underwood, a former nurse. Pretend it's NPR with sirens going on in the background of my apartment. Because they, <laughs> no, they would do that all the time. I know, NPR. Yeah, no, like, no sirens at NPR. We've blotted <laughs> out the world. NPR. Alright, we're moving on to the sixth congressional district election and that's between incumbent democrat won't stop can't stop and eh, 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 sean puffy caston and his republican challenger no one's favorite please stop Jeannie ives who raised more money 
It's actually a tie. Both Caston and Ives have raised $1.1 million. Who spent more money? That'll be Mr. Caston, uh, $2.2 million. Who has more cash on hand? Also Sean Caston, $2 million. Jeannie Ives has spent $1.1 million and has $494,000 cash on hand. Yeah, Jeannie Ives has a big decision to make as to how she spends that money as it go down the stretch. Is she going to uh, accentuate sort of the happy-go-lucky, perky Jeannie Ives? Remember that commercial, D? Uh, Hi, I'm Jeannie Ives. I'm putting on my running shoes. Remember that one? Yeah. Uh, Or is she going to be the Jeannie Ives, you know, tooth and claw? I come from the far right. Whack them up. (laughs) <laughs> last that noise Ives. <laughs> that's like a an eagle on steroids <laughs> i'm genie ives want to know why yeah. i'm running for congress walk Ooh. a mile in my shoes yeah that that's the perky genie ives then get back to the one who's screaming around her they're not right wing enough she was MAGA hat wearing, wearing with a Trump sign in her lawn. Remember that? I got a Trump. I'm not only for Trump, she said. I got a Trump sign in my law. Well, she's kind of downplaying that in the perky genie eyes. So she got a big decision, D. How's she going to spend that money? She going to try to get MAGA out uh, in the 6th Congressional? Get uh, get that MAGA vote out? Or is she going to try to win over the undecided voter who is moderate on like uh, social issues, but a fiscal conservative, which is just a funny way of saying they don't like paying taxes. I'm sure she's trying to cut a deal with Trump right now. Please just put a commercial out saying you'll, you know, to go vote for me, please. I don't know. See, I, that's a good point. But I don't know if that's work in the, <laughs> in the <laughs> go vote. Six congressional. I don't know if that'll work. You know, I think the six, don't quote me on this D, but I think the six went for Hillary. Uh, in 2006. Don't quote me on that. I think it did. So I don't know if the Trump mag is really going to work. Tough, tough, tough decision for Jeannie Ives. There's plenty of money to go around over at the Willie Wilson party in his Senate race against Dickie D. Dick Durbin. Uh, According to Willie Wilson, he has raised $3 million, spent only $845,000 and has $2.2 million cash on hand. That's a lot of money for a third-party candidate. Right. Uh, as we all know, Willie Wilson's running on the Willie Wilson ticket. Yeah. And at the so, Willie I mean, Wilson like, party, is that the only source you can go by if it's the Willie Wilson party? I guess, uh, you know, hey, if Willie Wilson says it, I guess it's true. Uh, I just don't know how much of that money he is his own money. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like Willie Wilson's well-to-do. Uh, he's a very successful businessman. And so he is not afraid to contribute to his campaign. So I don't know, based on what you said, how much is it that he, he raised individually? Willie Wilson, you know, I love you, but I'm hoping I am really hoping that Dick Durbin wins that race. Sorry, Willie. Can't be with you on this one. And finally, our Cook County state's attorney's race between incumbent Democrat Kim Fox and her challenger, Pat. I hate Empire O'Brien. <laughs> The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Rachel Hinton. With less than three weeks until the final votes can be cast, Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox is heading into the home stretch of her re-election bid with the potential to be outspent nearly two to one by Republican rival Pat O'Brien. Kim Fox reported having $202,290 left in her campaign coffers at the end of last month, and available filings show only $14,300 raised since 
then, giving her roughly $216,590 to spend. O'Brien had $225,653 in the bank at the end of last month and has reported raising $201,673 since then, giving the former Cook County judge at least, boy, I hate reading numbers, $427,326 to spend. And the Republican notified the Illinois State Board of Elections Wednesday that the $70,000 he lent his campaign the day before brought the total he personally dumped into his campaign war chest to $101,075. That effectively lifts the limits all candidates in the race can accept from donors or themselves. O'Brien said even before now, he's been, quote, outraising Kim Fox. Yeah, Pat O'Brien, what a joke. I urge everybody, I, it's the Eric Zorn show today, huh? I urge everybody to check out Eric's columns on this. We talked about this a lot. I forget what day we were talking about this. D was a Tuesday. I lost track of time. Uh, Pat O'Brien, as a prosecutor, is handling the uh, Lori Rosati case, the murder case. Uh, four innocent uh, teenagers were sent to prison. Um, you call that justice? And uh, what, did, what did Eric say? He goes, uh, Smollett Gate. Well, nobody calls it Smollett Gate except for the Ben Drosky show. Uh, but Smollett Gate is an embarrassment. Uh, and the Rossetti case is a travesty. So it's a joke. Republicans, they're not a serious party right now. They talk every now and then Donald Trump talks about his uh, first step program. He's so happy. I mean, the law, they pay, it really is the best law he did. Got a call from Kim Kardashian and just got things going. A little criminal justice reform at a federal level. He let Blago out of prison, give him credit for that. And then meanwhile, Republicans are just on the local level, running campaigns, be tough on law and order, throw more people in jail, beat the confessions out of them if we have to. Such a complete farce, so. I'm hoping Kim Fox wins. Smollett Gate is uh, an embarrassment. She should never have taken that phone call. She shouldn't. Yeah, never. I'm sure she's like, I hate Empire, too. Good Lord, this yeah. has caused me so much crap. But when you compare Smollett Gate to something that went down uh, in the case of those four boys, they were sent to prison for crime they didn't commit. Just like hell bent on uh, locking them up beat confessions out of them come on small potatoes ladies and gentlemen small potatoes and finally the news in the city of chicago no public events scheduled for our chicago mayor Lori lightfoot good afternoon everyone well, good afternoon <laughs> very, very nice that one cracks me up so hey good afternoon everyone it's like you know bad news is about to come after that good afternoon everyone uh-oh what i do wrong so no public event scheduled for the mayor so let's talk eddie gate today i'm announcing that i terminated eddie johnson's employment as superintendent of the chicago police department for cause effective immediately the time when chicago police superintendent eddie johnson became former chicago police superintendent after a video was was released of him passed out and intoxicated in his vehicle and boy Boy, did this story take a dark and serious turn. So we learned yesterday that five cops were suspended for trying to cover up for their boss. 
Eddie Johnson during this event late last year. And then, right as Thursday's show was coming to a close, a Chicago police officer who was assigned to former Superintendent Eddie Johnson's security detail, Cynthia Donald, filed a sexual abuse and harassment lawsuit against the former top cop, Eddie Johnson. Well, we now have even more details. According to city travel records obtained by the Chicago Sun-Times, while he was Chicago's police superintendent, Eddie Johnson went on at least seven out-of-town taxpayer-funded business trips with his female bodyguard. City travel records show Johnson and Donald traveled to Springfield together five times, including for the signing of a gun control bill in June 2017 and in February 2018 when Johnson testified in support of gun control uh, legislation named in honor of slain Chicago police commander Paul Bauer. Johnson and Donald had adjacent rooms in the Wyndham Springfield City Center on both of those trips record show. In 2018, Johnson and Donald traveled to a police ethics conference in New Orleans and stayed on the same floor of the Hotel Indigo in the Garden District record show. And according to the lawsuit, multiple times, Johnson ordered Donald to come into his room for sex. Uh, what That first story about the uh, travel, that was a new one in the Sun-Times, Steve? Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't had an opportunity to read it because, of course, I just read the uh, newspaper. Who wrote it? Does, do you know? Just curious. I'll be taking a look here right now. Just curious. Just curious. All right. It's going to take a little longer. Yeah. Stall, oh. Ben. Stall. Okay. Well, uh, no, the obsession with Eddie Johnson is uh, unceasing. Uh, and let's fo- face it, folks, the, the sexual angle uh, is what got most of you going uh, from the get-go. From the absolute get-go with this story, when he was caught um, making out with this woman uh, at a uh, Cynthia Donald at a bar in Chicago, that's the that was the it, the hook, <laughs> you know, like Smartgate. The hook was it was a celebrity. So, oh, they talk about rebranding. Chicago loves celebrities. A celebrity came to Chicago and lived in Chicago. Wow, it's so exciting! Like, how many stories is sometimes going to write about? What's that rehab show? Dave? Windy City Windy Rehab. City. Oh my God. Let's get more sh- celebrities. Like, they like Chicago. <laughs> Such a second city. This person actually stayed in Chicago once. Oh, it's this the guy Chicago from the TV. Kid. Yeah. Oh my God. In Chicago, we're so important. By the way, that article was from uh, Frank Main and Mitch Dudek. Mitch the dude. All right. Uh, just curious. Uh, so yeah, this, the, the, so Chicago loves celebrities. Chicago loves sex scandals. So, yeah, this story will be around for a long, long time. It has taken a dark turn. Some very serious allegations uh, in that lawsuit against uh, Eddie Johnson. Also, they dragged that lawsuit. This, I saw this in the bright one today. Dragged in Lori Lightfoot. Did you see that, D? Uh, the, the, yeah, the, the part of the lawsuit claims. Hold on, turning my bright one. I'm going to have to read it through the pink, which won't be easy. Right, hold on, D. Hold on. Oh, here we go. Um, yeah, XCPD souped. <laughs> That's the headline. XCPD souped. Oh. Sued for sex abuse harassment. That's more like a Tribune type headline, you know? They didn't try anything clever with this. Uh, but here we go. The five count lawsuit filed late Wednesday in Cook County Court by Officer Cynthia Donald claims that while Johnson was her board, boss, he forced Donald to perform sex acts and sent her unsolicited lewd photos. And the city of Chicago and Mayor Lori Lightfoot retaliated against her when the allegations against Johnson came to light. 
uh, the Lori Lightfoot spokespeople said it's not true. But yeah, so Lori Lightfoot's been dragging. This is a bizarre story. In other words, according to the lawsuit, Donna was punished by the city when uh, she made the allegations that she was being sexually harassed by Eddie Johnson. And then, of course, as we know, uh, Lori Lightfoot fired Eddie Johnson, said he had lied to her. So everything is just, it's a tangle. And we will be spending, I guarantee this, we will be spending the better part of the next year untangling it, going through it. And um, because, like I said, it has several just ripping elements to it. Eddie Gate. Eddie Gate will be with us long after I, well, the current police chief is gone. David Brown. You know what I'm saying, D? This is going to be around for a long, long time. All right, so that's the local news, guys. Like I said, coming up after our interview with Ramana Hussein, we have three Betsy Dirksen Londrigan ads to play for all of you. And uh, judging by how this uh, race has gone between the two, I bet I'll have three to play from Rodney Davis as well by the time we get there. So uh, stick around for that. Also, make sure to follow us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You could send us an email, Show at gmail.com. Ben, I just forwarded you an email. Uh, from a listener. He wanted to talk with you a little bit about uh, your interview with David Ferris and the fair tax. He had some opinions there. So I forwarded that your way. Uh, Be like that guy. Send us an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. Uh, leave your name and where you're from. We really appreciate you leaving that message. By the way, his name was Steve. Steve, you're the man. Thank you very much. And you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show. It's true. 708-658-4788. That number again. 708-658-4788. Call the Ben Jarofsky Show. Don't expect someone to answer. And leave us a voicemail. And who knows? There's a good chance we'll play your voicemail on our program. All right. We're going to take a break here. I am sending the Google Meet invite to Ramana Hussein now. And when we come back... Sometimes editor Ramana Hussein for the Ramana Rundown. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment in his attic.
Good afternoon, everyone. This election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the president of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's attorney, over 60 judges, our water reclamation district commissioners, which I'm trying to get Ben to uh, go for, still hasn't done it yet, and changes to our taxes. With all these races, candidates, and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com. Pull it up on your laptop, take it with you into the voting booth on your phone, and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for. chicagovotes.com. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky show, Romano Hussein, editor, uh, columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, joins us, one of our most popular features. Uh, I just want to say before I bring Romano on, D, I saw the email from Steve. It's a great email. And uh, I think what we'll do is after Romano's interview, I'll read the email and respond. Uh, but uh, really good email uh, from Steve, some cogent points that he makes Hell yeah. about Dave. David Ferris and a fair tax. So we'll get to it, Steve. But uh, first, Ramana Hussein from the Sun-Times. Oh, my goodness, Ramana, we're going to talk Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, and Dennis is going to play a Lindsey Graham. Watch, you're going to see this. We're going to have, like, actual tape, a recording to play. Dennis is going to show you his how good he is at playing that tape. Uh, liberals discover Bill Burr. I uh, got a big kick out of that. Liberals woke up one day and discovered there was a comedian named Bill Burr. Uh, and he had funny things to say about uh, white women. Uh, New York Times poll of Indian Americans. I know you got a lot to say about that, and I can't <laughs> wait to hear you say it. Uh, and what else? Oh, Eddie Gate. Let's start. Let's start with Eddie Gate. And of course, Romana recommendation, Romana. Uh, Eddie Gate. Of course, we just got finished talking about it. Uh, this, the, you, you know, Romana. You and I have been talking uh, for about. Over a year about uh, Justice Millett. And if at times we just roll our eyes, like, I can't believe this story is still around and we're still talking about it. The things Chicagoans get obsessed about, celebrityhood, they just love celebrities. But I think Eddie Johnson, the scandal around Eddie Johnson, may outlast Justice Smollett. What's your thoughts, your just general thoughts about how this thing is going? That's possible. I feel like this whole week has been uh, a lot of Eddie Johnson news. There's talk about the officers who, you know, had covered up um, for him following the scandal that caused him to get fired. And then we had the lawsuit um, that was filed against Eddie Johnson. This is um, a woman that was on a security detail team, and she was the woman that was with um, him the night that he was caught um, outside his home intoxicated in uh, his car. And that's the event, obviously, that led him to be fired. She filed a sexual, sexual harassment lawsuit against him. There's a lot of explosive allegations in there. And I believe today the IG report involving the um, Eddie Johnson case, the city's IG report, I think that came out today. I think um, one of the bombshells that came out on there that he trips like maybe seven trips with this woman um 
and they were all on the taxpayer's dime. So that was one of the, I think, um, allegations that came out of the IG report. Hold on one second. So Dennis just read that. Uh, So I didn't realize he he literally just read that story, breaking story by Frank Maine and the bright one. so I didn't realize that was based on information gleaned from the I. They finally released the IG report. Yeah, they finally. Re- okay. Yeah, that was today. I believe that was uh, today because we were actually talking in a news meeting about how there was so much Eddie Johnson news this week, and then uh, somebody in the news meeting said, "Yeah, and the IG report is going to be released tomorrow, meaning today, Friday." So that was yesterday. Well, that was like a little uh, sideshow uh, to Eddie Gate was the yeah. fact that the inspector general had dedicated a lot of hours to investigating it. Uh, had wrote a report, but only highlights of the report, certain portions of the report have been released. And there was, Lori Life was defiant. I'm not going to release this report. I don't care what you say, you know, and now, so apparently they released it. Uh, I did yeah. not realize that. Um, breaking news in the Ben Jaronsky show. Uh, all right, we'll, We'll have plenty of time to talk about the, all the salacious allegations uh, that have been raised against Eddie Johnson. I know this will be around for uh, over a year, but I just have to say, Ramon, I told you this, shook my head and kind of smiled. Four, not one, <laughs> not two, not three, but four Chicago Tribune reporters were assigned to write this story. Four reporters. Come on. I'm sorry, Ramana. I do not believe this warrants four reporters working on it. Well, the guy's not even the police chief anymore. Go ahead, your thoughts. And we we had only one reporter who was on the case, Sam Charles. So um, my hat's off to him. Um, this is very common. I mean, the Tribune, as we know, has been struggling uh, the past uh, you know couple years, or especially within the last year. So I don't want to knock my friend friends there because I do have a lot of friends who work there but they have fewer reporters than they did even like four or five years ago but one of the things that would make me laugh when I was at the criminal courthouse and I would be covering a case it was a pretty high profile case and I'd be like the only one covering the case and the tribune would have like you know I look up and you know my (laughs) um you know my my uh basically the person that I would would be my competition they would have like all of a sudden i hear a knock on the press door and then you see like two other tribune reporters there and they're like yeah we're helping out and you know they would be running you know they, they one would be assigned to talk to like you know family members you know who were tied to the case you know where all the press was gathered where all the cameras were gathered and the you know one reporter would like be tweeting and the other you know the reporter that would usually be covering 20 and cal would be doing something else and i'd be like i'd be the only sad person from the sun times are running around like with the chicken with it with its head cut off like covering everything and then there'd be some days where i'd be there'd be like two or three different cases happening at one time and i would tell my bosses because they do send me like backup but you know there'd be days where they'd be like well sorry you don't have anybody to cover you know help you so do you have to try to do everything else so i'd be running up and down the, the 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 courthouse the stairs at the courthouse and the tribune would have like comfortable they'd be all be comfortable because they'd have like two or three reporters helping them out so that's a very common thing where we cover something and then be like four reporters. I have to tell you that the Tribune has four reporters. I do have to tell you that there's sometimes even at the Sun Times where we have like three or four people on one story. And that's when it's like, you know, so there are times that we have the same thing. And, and, and you know, there could be a reporter that's like out all day waiting for something and they don't get anything, but you still want to give them the byline for doing all that work. So I get So sometimes there are there are cases where they I'm thinking they probably sent the Tribune report. Tribune probably sent other reporters different places to find more information about Eddie Johnson. I don't know if it took 
necessarily for people to cover it. But well, I, I got to tell you, this. There, there's so much embedded in this. Number one, uh, just listening to you. It, it, I've, I've never worked for the Tribune or the Sun-Times, but I, I'm aware uh, from friends who've worked at the Sun-Times that the Sun-Times reporters have always, there's like a little chip on their shoulder, which I, I, <laughs> I like. I, I'm, I got a big chip on my shoulder about a lot of things, but sometimes reporters, it's like, they're, and I'm generalizing, I understand, but yeah. they're like, the notion is like the Tribune's pampered and, um, and the Sun-Times, I'm just going to speak, this is me speaking, not Romana. Like the Sun-Times was a union, and it, for years the Tribune wasn't, now it is. So the Sun-Times, like union would be seriously hardcore negotiating. The Tribune would look at the Sun-Times and then, th- you know, throw a few coins at its reporters uh, based on the Sun-Times union would do all the work. And the, the, the Tribune reporters would be like, well, we don't need a union. They take care of us, you yeah. know. And then <laughs> and so it's like that Dylan song, how does it feel to be on your own? Anyway, so uh, now the Tribune has a union and god bless them i love their union but you got that chip on your shoulder you know what i'm saying sometimes reporters because it's like the tree it was a little pampered at the tribune and when i see four reporters <laughs> it brings it home and i and i i did i did work at the tribune um i, I worked there when when city news um when the sun times pulled out of city news and it was taken over by the tribune i worked for them and then i was one, a one-year resident there so you know i did get sent out. i remember when uh jesse jackson it turned out that he had um fathered and uh, a, a baby outside his marriage. I remember sitting inside of a, a van with a, the Tribune photographer. I spent eight out of hours of my day just waiting there. I think those days are over. Like they would be, you know, they'd have enough reporters or enough, you know, residents to sit out there and stake a lot of places out. I don't think we have that at, at either papers now. So. Well, all right. Let, and the Jesse Jackson uh, reference is a good uh Ten, a way to get to this next point the obsession it's not just Chicago but let's just talk the obsession with sex you know I, I'm laughing at myself like I've tried to get people uh, interested in municipal financing scandals for 30 years very difficult to do Romana you get a little sex in a story that's it it's Jesse Jackson what he had a, a kid out of wedlock boom we're gonna send a photographer down to get a you know Jesse Jackson Jr. remember the blonde the sometimes at the picture of the blonde lady oh yeah. we're gonna put that blonde on the front page uh, uh, Eddie Johnson sexual harassment suit four reporters not one not two not three but four what well, is it about it's... Chicago and sex I, I, think, I, I just think it's an easy topic for people to understand and relate to, like municipal, like, you know, bonds or something like that. It's a little more complex. So I think it's just one of those stories where, you know, everybody's going to kind of zoom to. And I mean, with Jesse Jackson, he's like, a you know, a reverend. And with Eddie Johnson, he was a police superintendent. And, you know, there was a question of, you know, lying and whether he used a squad car for like, you know, there's just, there's just like a lot of different things. I think it's easier for people to, to digest and understand. No, I know. I could just hear the Dudley do rights in the newsroom. Then he lied about the squad <laughs> car. That's why we're concerned has yeah. nothing to do with the sex. Okay. <laughs> he had lied about like, I don't know whether he bought a bottle of milk. Do you still think milk gate? <laughs> yeah that is, you're you're right you're right it's sex sex sells sex shall lead for reporters tribute i don't know a little excessive 
All right. Uh, I know we'll have a lot to talk about Eddie Gate as the time rolls on. Let's hear your thoughts on the Amy uh, Coney uh, Barrett. And D, are you there? Um, I'd love to play uh, the Lindsey Graham clip. Uh, this really relates, uh, Ramona, I think what you're going to say. Uh, Lindsey Graham, of course, is the Republican senator from South Carolina, and he chaired the Judiciary Committee that oversaw the hearings. Uh, and um, he had some comments to make uh, to Amy Coney Barrett near the end of her testimony that I found nauseating. And uh, we'll play him and then we'll get your thoughts. All right, D, go ahead. I think it's pretty clear to everybody who's been watching these hearings that you and your family are pro-life that you are a practicing Catholic uh, and you adhere to the tenets of your faith. But I hope people also understand that you have made a pledge to the committee and to the country at large that you will set aside whatever religious views you have when it comes time to decide the law. Uh, I have never been more proud of a nominee than I am of you. You've been candid to this body about who you are, what you believe. You've been reassuring in your disposition. And this is history being made, folks. This is the first time in American history that we've nominated a woman who's unashamedly pro-life and uh, embraces her faith without apology. And she's going to the court. Seat at the table is waiting on you. Oh, wow. I mean, first of all, he starts off, it's just contradiction embedded in one statement. He starts off by saying that you've proved that you will not let your faith get in the way of any decision. And he concludes by, by emphasizing the historical significance of sending uh, a woman who's unabashedly pro-life. If, if she's not going to allow her personal decisions <laughs> to rule her on her decisions, what difference does it make, Senator Lindsey Graham, what her personal views are? Why is it historically significant that we're sending an unabashedly pro-life woman to the Supreme Court if she's not going to weigh that on anything? Romana, they're sending out so many mixed messages here, and I know you have thoughts on this. Go ahead. I know, I know. I'm not going to talk about um, Amy Coney Barrett is in terms of um, whether or not she's a fit nominee. But I just think it's interesting that, you know, people, you know, there are people on the right who are acting like her faith is being attacked. And they keep saying, like, you know, people shouldn't discriminate against, uh, you know, her, you know, her because of her religion. And it's it's kind of funny because Ilhan Omar tweeted that um, if this was a Muslim woman and she was pro-life, there would be a lot of, you um, people tweeting about Sharia law and this wouldn't even be a question. I mean, she would just be shot down from like, she wouldn't even be considered, but for people to act like being Catholic, you're persecuted in this country. I'm not saying that, you know, people aren't maligned because, you know, they're religious or they believe in certain views, but I kind of feel like being Christian in this country is seen as a good thing. Um, there are other religions, including mine that aren't seen as a good thing just from the get go. I could be, I could run for an office and not have any of the views that Amy Coney Barrett has, and I would still be maligned because of who I am. Um, we all know that uh, Barack Obama had to, I mean, I feel like Barack Obama joined a church as soon as he knew he was going to have political aspirations. Was he a church regular church-going guy beforehand? I don't know if he was, but, you know, he had the, 
you know, ethnic sounding name. And he was raised by, you know, two Muslim men. And he has Muslim ties, meaning he has Muslims in his family. And he had to denounce and he had to basically separate himself. And, you know, there are whispers of him being a Muslim and how he could use his faith and, you know, change the way this country is ruled. I've, I heard talks about that. And this guy had to go out of his way to prove that he was a Christian and to assure everybody that he was a Christian. So people could think that he, he was like an OK guy. So I just find all that talk about. Amy Coney Barrett being discriminated against because of her religion, just ludicrous. Yeah, from a personal well, opinion. Yeah, uh, it plays into this um, uh, theme that the Republicans like to promote that they're a persecuted uh, group in this country, uh, and that they're rallying to defend their sacred values uh, from an onslaught of leftists, thugs, hoodlums, and Muslims, yeah. you know, and it's uh, radicals, uh, Ilan Omar, the, the, you know, the, the squad, they, yeah. they'll throw AOC yeah. into it every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and it, <laughs> But at the same breath, old boy says, oh, but don't worry. She's not going to bring her faith into it. Uh, so it's really, it's just, just a double message. And uh, yeah, you're right. Um, that would be interesting if they promoted, just, I, I know this is impossible to imagine, but uh, a, um, a, a Muslim judge who was virulently anti-abortion. Yeah. If they promote what would the messaging be for that? Oh, it, I don't even think it would get to that point. That's what I'm just saying. I mean, it, it's just, you know, there could be a, a Muslim person running and, you know, they just identify. They're just kind of they're not religious, but it's just an identity they have. That person would be crucified, even if they had like, you know, even if they were trying to message or trying to cater to a certain group, I, I don't think they would get that far. I mean, definitely times have changed. We have Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, um, you know, it, they're, they're in the government and that I wouldn't see like 10, 15 years ago. So there are, there are like little changes, but I could never see a Muslim woman wearing hijab. And then, you know, she was like pro-life being, you know, being considered for the Supreme court. There's no way. For that yeah. matter, I don't think I think it would be hard to see an Orthodox Jewish woman. But I'm just saying if there was if there was a Muslim woman who didn't even, you know, just even said that she was Muslim and was pro pro life, it just she just would have been, you know, they'd say that she was trying to re- use her religion and then they're they're gonna try to change this country into a Muslim country. That's that's a kind of talk that we would hear. Yeah. It would be nonstop. It would be nonstop, and she wouldn't be nominated in the first place. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Because the Democrats would be so afraid exactly. of being black. But boy, but they it worked. I mean, uh, the Democrats in this election year stayed far away from Amy Coney Barrett's uh, religious beliefs, whatever uh groups that she had belonged to, because controversial as uh, many of them were. And uh, they stayed just far away from that, which, of course, did not stop Republicans from saying that Amy Coney Barrett was being picked on and persecuted for her religious beliefs. Um, All right. uh, So, yeah, I had a feeling you were going to say that. And then uh, additionally, this week, there was a story that came out of The New York Times. Homework for Ramana. I immediately (laughs) sent it to her. You already read it. Yeah, I already Uh, read it. So it was kind of like it was homework that you gave me that I already did. But I kind of reread the article yesterday. 
Uh, interesting uh, take. A New York Times poll of Indian Americans, uh, and I think, uh, doing off the top of my head, roughly 72% to 75% uh, of the respondents said they intended to vote for Joe Biden uh, and Kamala Harris. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not shocked um, by that at all. Um, I thought the article was. Uh, I thought the article was a little. It could have went a little deeper. Um, it talked about how a lot of Indian Americans, um, you know, are, are are angry about the way Trump talks about you know people of color. But one of the things I noticed from the article, and maybe it's because I'm an Indian Muslim, is that they didn't mention anything about the Islamophobia that's coming out of the White House. Um, and a lot of um, a lot of Indians are Muslim. We're we're the largest minority group in India. It's about um, there's one billion people in India. So even though we're like twelve to fourteen or twelve to fifteen percent of the population, it's a lot of Muslims. Um, so I thought that fact that they didn't point that out um, was was kind of a little faulty. And then there was parts in the in the article that talked about how uh, Donald Trump and uh, Narendra Modi, Modi is the um, leader of India, the prime minister of um, India. He's also um, painted, and many people would say, very anti-Muslim. Uh, they had, Trump and Modi had a rally last year in Houston, Texas, and they talk a little bit about that in the article. And there are Trump supporters among um, conservative Indians. And then they talk about how, you know, People are wondering whether that rally or the fact that Kamala Harris is uh, the vice presidential nominee, whether that would be, you know, a determining factor. I don't think that Indians are just going to vote for Joe Biden because of Kamala Harris. That's just my personal opinion. I think that's just as superficial as anybody thinking that if they um, nominate a, a black vice presidential nominee, all the black people are going to run out to vote for that particular candidate. I think it's a lot more complex and there's a lot more factors at play. And the article, I kind of felt like they could have talked to more Indians. Uh, but, but I mean, there were some things I agreed with, um, but I'm not surprised that more Indians are democratic than before. And one of the things that I was pointing out, uh, to my husband, Mick yesterday was that Indian Americans are the second largest immigrant group, um, in the United States. So that's that's pretty um, telling. And that should tell you that people should be, you know, talking to us, you know, during, uh, you know, these is that right? Rallies. I yeah. did not know that. Who's yeah, number one? Well, you didn't read your homework then. It was in the article. Oh, <laughs> no, it was in the article. And then Indians. Uh, tend to be, uh, <laughs> I forgot that part of the story. Yeah, that's the thing. I think um, I think Asian Americans in general, like overall, we're one of the largest. Uh, yeah, we're, we're a growing group and uh, we are going to be important in, in future elections. I, I, I think, the, Wait, I think but who is the number one immigrant group. I can't remember that from the story. I, it didn't say that. But I would think oh, no wonder I didn't remember. <laughs> I, would, I would think that it's the Mexican-Americans. That's I would say so, too. I would, I would I put my money. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, yeah, okay. but the thing is, like, I think a lot of politicians do take a lot of uh, people of color. Um, you know, we know that they take African-Americans of color for granted. I think um, they definitely take Asian-Americans for granted. We're never spoken to as a group. Um, we're never targeted as a group to, like, you know, you know, get out the vote. I guess the assumption is that we're going to vote uh, for the Democrats. So I don't know. I think I think these are interesting topics to talk about. And that was one of the things that I was noticing when the DNC, did you watch, you watched the virtual DNC. Um, mm -hmm. They had a lot of like former white Trump supporters or they had a lot of people that were, you know, 
white. And I'm not saying that they, I know why, I know why they have to talk to a, you know, a certain segment of the population, the working class whites, but there's a lot of us who are, you know, I'm not working class Indian, obviously, but there are a lot of other working class people and they're people of color. And I think, uh, I think the Democrats need to learn that they need to learn how to talk to different groups and include them in their campaign. Um, that was one of the things I think that really helped Bernie Sanders, especially when it came to Mexicans and Muslims of all different colors. He really spoke to those groups. And I think the Democrats don't necessarily speak to those particular groups. Well, you raise a really good point about uh, ethnic voting. And uh, I remember um, 2000, Al Gore chose as his running mate, Joseph Lieberman, oh, yeah. uh, who's Jewish, senator from uh, Connecticut. And the idea was that what was going to help him with Jewish voters in Florida it didn't really help that much. Uh, Florida was so close that they were able to steal at the Republicans, uh, thanks to the Supreme Court. And George Bush got to be the president, even though uh, he didn't have a majority of the vote. So the point is, is that it didn't have the impact that they thought it is. And I think you're right. I think that um, just getting a person from a certain ethnic group does not guarantee that that whole ethnic group is going to fall in line. I look at this like... Um, uh, Tim Scott in South Carolina is a black man. He's Republican. I don't know. I have to look and see what percentage of the black vote he can de- depend on. Um, was James Jones is running for Senate in Michigan. He's a black man, black Republican, or running against Gary Peters. I don't know what percentage of the black vote uh, he can depend on. In other words, if ideologically uh, a person is running against or an opposition to the the mainstream ideology of his or her ethnic group. I don't know if they're going to, I don't know if a a real conservative Jew will get a lot of Jewish votes running against Jan Schakowsky. You know, I just don't see that happening. No, I agree. And you know, the funny, interesting thing that when you mentioned George Bush, um, when he hired, I mean, he had the VP, um, God, what's his name? God, you just mentioned No, no, no. George Bush, this is W. When he, a lot of uh, when he did get the running mate that was, you know, a right wing, well, he was a little more moderate Jewish. A lot of Muslims did vote for George Bush because they thought he was going to be voting different from them on Israel. On that, oh, matter. you mean Al Gore? When Al yeah, Gore took yeah, Joe Lieberman Gore, as yeah. his running, yeah, it was Al Gore. Yeah, yeah, it was Al Gore. So yeah, sorry, but a lot yeah. of a lot of Muslims, I can tell you, did vote for George Bush that year. And then afterwards, they're like, well, maybe we shouldn't vote like a one topic you know we shouldn't have like you know there's there's a lot of discussion about whether that was the right thing to do afterwards no yeah. ray hannah neo came on this show uh i should bring him back because he's a very entertaining guest ray hannah neo i don't this is before your time for years was reporter at the sun times oh, oh you know pr guys done really well for himself the public relations uh ray hannah neo said he came on the show he goes he voted for donald trump okay uh, Ray Hannity is Palestinian uh, and American, uh, and uh, he voted for Donald Trump because of Donald Trump would be more sympathetic to the Palestinians. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at the. Pro- I've heard every reason given for voting for someone, but that that hasn't really worked out your uh, your way, no, Ray Hannity. No, and I, 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 see, I, Ray Hannity is a Facebook friend of mine, so I do see the the you know the the statuses, and I can tell you I don't agree, but. But yeah, it was like, so when a lot of Muslims did vote for George Bush in 2000 because of Lieberman, I can tell you that. But there was a lot of discussion afterwards about whether 
you know, we have to really think about the way we vote. And um, a lot of people, a lot of, I mean, I, most Muslims are voting to vote Democrat, I would say now. Like, you know, it's changed. There's definitely, there's definitely Muslims for Trump too, you know, I, I, pers- I, everybody has like a, yeah, I don't know if I have a relative that voted for Trump, but I just feel like you talk to anybody these days and somebody has a relative that voted for Trump. Yeah, no, there's uh, undoubtedly, uh, but it, it, 75, 72 to 75% of Indian Americans yeah. uh, are, are going to, according to this poll, are going to vote for uh uh, Joe Biden and my I contend that it's not because Kamala Harris that it would no. have been that number had he picked a Jewish running mate had he picked a Christian running mate I just Great. think there's something about the attacks that Donald Trump have made on the immigrant community and people of color and he's done it from the moment uh, he st- announced he was running uh, Ramana till today yesterday he was still doing it at the town hall and i don't think it took kamala harris to get indian americans to see what's going on i agree yeah so if joe biden thought oh get the decisive indian american vote by putting kamala harris on what a waste of a pick yeah and i was gonna say i mean yeah we're a pretty big group but yeah i don't i think if he was gonna think that way strategically it would be a little different maybe he thought oh i I can get the african-american vote and the indian vote Boom. A twofer. Yeah. You know exactly. what? I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw this out there, and it, I, I don't think I've ever said this to you. I don't think people, except for Indian Americans, really think realize that Kamala Harris is Indian American. I yeah. think most people just view her as a black woman, yeah. and uh, so that's the equation. What do well, you? Think? I, I told you. I told you the first time I heard of Kamala Harris. Um, I, I figured she was part Indian because of her name. I, I assume because usually when. Usually, I mean, I'm not, I'm going on stereotypes here and generalizing here, but um, a lot of African Americans, if they don't have the typical Anglo-Saxon name, the ethnic names they do have are Muslim, and that was a very Indian Hindu name. So I'm like, God, she must have some sort of Indian connection. So Ramana, that's what I thought when I heard her name. I'm going to tell you that Jews do the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> they're like. I think this person may be Jewish. I yeah. think that, you know, those, I think, I think this person may be Jewish. Like, and then you discover like some, like when Jews discovered that Drake was Jewish. Yeah. Like, I'm not talking about young Jews. I'm talking about old Jews. Yeah. He's Jewish. <laughs> Drake's a rapper, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, for my I older listeners. No, I know the, you know who he is, but. He was uh, on the new, he was on the new Degrassi Junior High. I'm sure you watched that too. Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> Dennis is dying. I missed that. I, I missed the whole Drake phenomenon. I just know uh, that, you know, his mother's Jewish. He's Jewish. He was bar mitzvah. And yeah. Jews, everybody, did you know Jake Drake's Jewish? There's yeah. a rapper Jewish. Yeah, uh, Muslims do that. Like, we go crazy. And then we, we do that with Indian people, too. Like, because I'm Indian. But, like, yeah, we do that. Muslims do that, too. Yeah. Indians. And, and, and black people do it too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like whenever there's a, uh, like this go back in time, a, a black person finally made it into a primetime show, like Julia or something like that, that black people would. T- so yeah, every, every ethnic group I think does that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's enough to get them to vote for someone. Oh, I agree. If that person is. Involved. I agree. Yeah. I think everybody, look, you know, everybody that I know that's Indian was, um, well, they're like, wow, you know, she's part Indian. And there was kind of like a pride in that sense. 
that, you know, someone that has our heritage is, you know, nominated for the vice president. But it wasn't like they're not going to dissect who she is or aren't going to be critical of her and be like, oh, God, I got to go run out and just vote for this woman because she's Indian. Yeah. Or part Indian. Absolutely. I don't think that's going on. All right. Now, uh, I I took special delight with this, as did Dennis. Uh, Bill Burr. Bill Barr, I started doing my Bill Barr imitation, uh, was on Saturday Night Live. He's a comedian. He's been around for a long, long time. Uh, Saturday Night Live, clearly, had Chris Rock the first week. They said, all right, let's get a white comedian on, a uh, little, uh, you know, Trump-esque, like, so they put Bill Burr on. Uh, and just, <laughs> it's like our world, our, our country is so segregated and separated into those little outlets. And so, like, like a whole segment Ramana of white liberals, they'd never heard of Bill Burr before. And all of a sudden they see him and he gets up there and he does his bit and they're like offended and angry. And they're, who is this guy? And uh, I thought I, it was pretty I think funny. it was just white liberals. Um, people of color who are liberals thought it was pretty funny. I can tell you that. They they didn't agree with the cancel culture segment, but they liked the rest of the um, the bit that he did. All right, uh, I don't think we could play that bit because no. Saturday Night Live would sue us, you know. Uh, oh. But um, could you just tell folks a little bit what the okay. bit went? I'll, I'll talk went. a little bit about what he did. So he started off talking about how he didn't agree with cancel culture and talked about, you know, he kind of pointed out to how John Wayne, um, so John, it's his name is John Wayne, right? The yes, you talk about the John Wayne, the actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I almost said John. I almost said I almost said John Wayne Gacy, and I'm like, no, John. No, 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 no. God, please. So, no. so John, he talked. He just started making fun of people and how John. You know, they're all everybody just realized that John Wayne was a racist, and people pointing out to his like 1970 70ish uh, Playboy interview where I think he used a lot of slurs. And he's like, the guy was born in 1907. That's just the way people thought. And so he was kind of going off on cancel culture. Then he went on to the best bit where everybody made everybody laugh is about how white women try to hijack the um, post-George Floyd uh, discrimination movement and, you know, trying to go after white men. And he's just kind of like... He makes a joke about how white women managed to, you know, it was about people of color for about eight seconds. And then white women, you know, <laughs> crossed over with their Gucci, you know, <laughs> boots on the other side and put themselves at the front of the line trying to rip on white men. And he's just basically told them, he's like, you need to sit down and shut up like the rest of us white men. And he basically said that you've been going along with this uh the white toxic male masculinity bit for a long time. So I think a lot of, a lot of people of color did appreciate that. And then he ended it up, ended it with um, the black history month and how gay pride, the gay pride month is like in this in June or May or June, June. you know, and then Chris Rock has a bit too. Chris, Chris Rock has always had this bit about how Black History Month is the shortest month of the year. But Bill Burr took it one step further and said, you know, it's just, it's the month they give Black History Month you know, in February when everybody's like freezing cold outside. And I don't know. I know, Ben, you said that a lot of white liberals are mad at his bit. Oh, they're mad. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of people of color were just were laughing. And they said that everything that he said was totally true. Maybe we didn't agree with his canceled culture comments. And uh, they canceled culture comments. The, 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 they're so dumb when those come on comedians. Get over it. Yeah. People criticize you. I get criticized. See me whining and crying. But by the way, I got to give a shout out to Bab. He's a, uh, he's a listener of ours. I, I, he put it on. I'll just read it. He put it, actually put it on my Facebook page. So I'll just read you the line that you, you're pretty good, uh, your recollection. Um, 
Um, he goes, I've got to tell you the way white women somehow hijacked the woke movement. Generals around the world should be analyzing this. Uh, the woke movement was supposed to be about people of color not getting opportunities, finally making that happen. And it was about that for about eight seconds. And then somehow white women swung their Gucci booted feet over the fence of oppression. And the white bird does it, Gucci food, uh, and, uh, and stuck themselves at the front of the line. Trashing white guys, the nerve of you white women, he uh, he added. Let's go back in history here. You guys stood by us, toxic white males, through centuries of our crimes against humanity. You rolled around in the blood money, and occasionally when you wanted to sneak off and hook up with a black dude, if you got caught, you said it was non-consensual. That's what you did. So why don't you shut up, sit down next to me, and take your talking to Bill Burr? Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I and, and I admit I didn't know who he was. I just saw that he was trending on Twitter, and I was and it said Bill Burr, white women. Uh, then it said you know Bill Burr, and then SNL, and then and then there was all these articles that came out too about the about the seven minute monologue. And then a friend sent me the text, and it goes, "Oh, ha! Look what he says about white women." So that's that's I, I admit I discovered him. And you know one thing about Bill Burr that a lot of people of color were pointing out is that he's married to a black woman, so she's probably told him this stuff too. I'm sure she's um, kind of weighed in on a lot of topics as well. And I'm sure he ran it by her. Yeah, he, oh, did the sure. bit. He, said, he says he runs a lot of things by her. I was reading an article about Yeah, her. Bill Burr goes back, by the way, uh, Bill Burr, uh, Dennis and I get a big kick out of this, was on um, the Dave Chappelle show. Uh, you go back and look at a lot of those old bits. Was There's he, Bill Burr. Was yeah, he, he had was no on, idea. Okay, yeah, he was, watch, I used to watch that show. And he was also on Breaking Bad, I found out. But he played a dramatic role, and I'm trying to figure out who he was. But he was in Breaking Bad as well. Yeah, so uh, he's been around for a while, uh, but he just finally <laughs> annoyed his way into you know, white liberals are very concerned about it. Oh, white liberals, calm down. It's not the end of the world, okay? <laughs> Life goes on. People can tweak you. It's okay. Uh, Bill Burr, uh, you know, his bit, I, I, more homework I sent to Ram, Ramana. I urge everybody, his five-minute takedown of Steve Jobs and Apple and the whole culture of just utter obsession and love that people have for their cell phones. Ramana is so right on. I love that. And I send that to people. I sent it to you, right? Did you get a chance you to did. watch it? You did. I did. Watch. You sent it to me while I was on my run. So I stopped and I watched it. I love it. Uh, I urge everybody to check it out. Just uh, Google Bill Burr and uh, Steve Jobs. All right. Before uh, we leave for the day, Ramada's recommendations. I got a bunch of recommendations for you, but why don't you tell me what you got for uh, for me? Well, I'm watching. Um, it's a Netflix series. It's called Haunt Haunting of Bly Manor. And it basically is a follow-up to The Haunting of Hill House, which is was loosely based on a Shirley Jackson uh, short story or a, a novel, I should say. And then this this um, season is it's called The Haunting of Bly Manor, and this is this is a series loosely based on a Henry James novella so the turning of the screw so i'm watching it you know it's halloween i'm almost almost halloween so i'm trying to get into the um spooky scary theme although i don't think it's that spooky it's more creepy um so i enjoyed i i know the, i read the i read the haunting of hill house before i watched the series last year and it's completely different 
Um, but I just watched it. I thought it was entertaining enough. So I'm just watching the second part. No, I haven't watched Pose. And then the second thing I was going to recommend, I know you noticed that your sometimes is all pink today, is uh, if you can do a breast cancer walk for anyone or I know it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's just something I know. I know a lot of women are into it and some men too, but I'm doing a walk tomorrow. So anything you can do to support. I had a friend who's a survivor. She was going through... Um, radiation during the pandemic and she's uh in remission right now so just in dedication of her and if you know anybody who has had breast cancer it's always a good thing to do uh absolutely with you 100 percent. i did make a few teasing remarks about the pink uh sometimes uh, guys you could have just on the front page pink <laughs> you know you may have to make me but you know whatever uh, just teasing my book right one I, you know i love you bright one um Rada Blank is her name, Ramana, and she's brilliant. I cannot recommend this movie enough. It's on Netflix. It's called uh, The 40-Year-Old Version, V-E-R-S-I-O-N. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it, give too much of it away, because your assignment, your next homework assignment is to watch it, so maybe we can have a whole discussion on it next week. But I just found it so funny in a sardonic way and uplifting, curiously enough, uh, and uh, it's about a woman who's approaching the age of 40. Uh, she's having sort of a uh, crisis of uh, her career. She's a stand-up comedian. It's not worth, um, excuse me, she's a uh, dramatist. It's not really working out the way she wants it to, and she tries to revive it by doing rap. I just loved it, so I urge you to watch it. She's closer to you in generation than she is to me, but I really, um, I could just... Uh, she's I don't know some ways she spoke to me so uh, her name is Rada Blank B-L-A-N-K I urge that's my one and um, uh, tonight I'll be watching the Chicago 7 which breaks yeah. on Netflix tonight you gonna watch that as well I do I do want to watch that um, you know I, I think it's inter- I, I think I told you this but when I was in high school I, I could have sworn I saw um, a teacher of mine showed us um, on video like a uh, it was a dramatized version of what happened of the, the trial itself and it was like a play but he had a he had a he had a VHS, so I just remember watching it. So I know people say it's the first time that there's ever been some sort of, you know, movie or TV show based on this. But I, I feel like there has been because I remember learning about it when I was in high in high school. Well, yeah, there was okay. So the Chicago Seven trial was a conspiracy trial. The uh, U.S. government cooked up uh, charges of conspiracy against uh, seven anti-war activists who had been organizing against the Democratic Convention. Uh, that was held in Chicago in 1968, got their heads bashed in by Chicago police. Uh, but somehow or other, it was the hippies that got put on trial uh, with these accusations of conspiring to uh, cross state lines to incite riots. The, the, the trial was a travesty. The judge, Julius Hoffman, was uh, lined up with the feds from the get-go. Hor- horrifically unfair. He was blatantly unfair. And the transcripts, the literal transcripts of the trial, Romana, were turned into a book and then later there was a uh, play made out of the transcripts and there was probably a movie that I missed uh, that high school kids got to see. It was literally the transcripts so that you could see uh, how unfair Hoffman was but then you could also see how the hippies played into it by uh, needling him and oh, yeah. uh, maligning yeah, him. And- I remember seeing that in this uh, videotape that we watched. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of like it was, I don't want to say they were making fun of everything, but I just remembered them. They were acting out. And it was like, you know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you're laughing at the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, so. it, it, 
it, they they mocked it, and uh, the the leader of their uh, of the that, seven, that Abby Hoffman. Abby Hoffman is played by Sasha Baron Cohen. I'm really looking forward to seeing how Sasha Baron Cohen plays Abby Hoffman. So um, I'm looking forward to that great uh, eagerness and just tell everybody uh, Sergio Mims will be coming on. We'll be talking about it. We're doing a whole uh, thing on uh, Chicago 7. So I'm looking is it, forward is to it. it. Is it coming out tonight? Yes, tonight's okay. the night uh, okay. on Netflix. Well, it's, it was in the movie theaters, but I'm still scared. I got to admit, Romana, you know I love going to movies, but I'm still not going to movies, the actual theaters. So I have to watch these movies on my boob tube. Uh, anyway, Romana Hussein, stay safe and sound. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you next week, all right? Thanks for having me. All right, that's a great Romana Hussein every Friday in the Ben Jarowski Show, Chicago Sun-Times editor columnist. Dee, what updates you got for me? Well, we got a few updates here, uh, but before we get to those, uh, Ben, you said you wanted to talk about the email we received from Steve, oh, right? Yeah. Oh my God, I completely. Oh my God, I completely forgot that, Dee. Uh, Steve, thank you very much for writing this email. And it's regards to the David Ferris interview I did uh, with David Ferris, a political science professor from Roosevelt University. Uh, and he writes, Steve writes, quote, uh, while it would only be a slight exaggeration to say that I live for Ben and David's rants. <laughs> uh, they're not rants. They're well thought out riffs. <laughs> But whatever, rants is good, too. About the timidity of Democrats, as a supporter of the fair tax amendment, I must respectfully dissent for both of your comments on the fair tax on the other day's special broadcast. Ben, you wondered about fair tax supporters' supposed bad messaging on the effects of passage, chalking it up as yet another example of de Democratic timidity. Why, you wondered, did Democrats merely talk about raising taxes on the rich and not take the obvious to you next step of promising tax reductions for the next rich? The answer is that such a promise would be a lie, in quotes. The truth of the matter is that Illinois' fiscal pitch picture is so screwed up that the fair tax can only make a small contribution to making things right again. Raising taxes on the wealthy would not only fill a part of the gap and no reductions for the rest of us are possible, even with the fair tax to promise such a reduction and not grant them would merely set the table for future Republican counterattacks and the fair tax amendment would set a ratio between the highest and lowest tax rates of eight to five. You might say a higher rate would have been more desirable, but they're having a hard enough time getting this rate structure passed. No, the fair tax is only designed to overcome the absurd constitution handcuffs of the legislator that forbid any progressive income taxation. That all, that's all it is. Excellent letter, Steve. I basically agree with everything you say to which, to which I say this. And I actually made this point stronger in my column. You're playing fair. You're playing as though this is an honest playing field. And I'm merely saying that those tactics have failed time and time again. That if you play fair as a Democrat, if you tell the truth as a Democrat, if you're honest at voters as a Democrat, you're repaid with out and out lies. You're up against, you're playing by the rules. They're not playing by the rules. Just look at that debate, that first debate. Donald Trump, from the minute that debate began, broke every rule that he agreed to for the debate. So if Donald Trump weren't in the middle of a pandemic, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, he'd be rewarded for that behavior. So I hear what you're saying. And this, I struggle with this all the time. 
You want to play by the rules and be fair and accurate. And the other side abides by no rules. So my point is this. If Democrats played the game like Republicans, they wouldn't call it a fair tax. They would call it a tax cut. Vote to cut your taxes. And you can make the argument, Steve, you can make the argument that it is effectively a tax cut because your taxes wouldn't be higher. Your taxes would be lower than what they would have been without it. And that's the reality. That is point blank the reality. If the fair tax goes down, middle class people, working class people, and poor people will be paying more in taxes because there will not be higher rates on the well-to-do. And that's why the Kenny G's of the world, the Ken Griffiths of the world are pouring so much money into it because they're going to save money on the back end. So while your point is a good one, that in a fair society, in a society where we all play by the rules, in a society where we respected truth, you'd be as truthful as you can. But right now we're in a society where one group is benefited by lying right in the face of people. They tell you a tax cut on the wealthiest people is actually a tax cut for everyone. And we all know that's not true. So sometimes you have to fight fire with fire. That's all I'm saying. But excellent letter from Steve. And thank you for taking the time uh, to write it. And thank you for listening uh, to David Ferris and myself. Absolutely, ahead, Steve. Thank you so much for the email. But I think I know someone who may disagree with you. Springfield politicians, <laughs> they promise they won't tax retirement income if their constitutional amendment passes. But their measure lets them increase income taxes on every group of taxpayers, including retirees. See, Steve, that's my point. They just made that up. You know what I mean? They just made that up. They dragged Phyllis out there. Here, Phyllis, read this script. You got it, boss. Just a re- made up. It's got nothing to do with retirement. They don't even mention retirement. Go ahead, Phyllis. I'll say whatever you say, boss. Just give me the script. By the way, yes, that is a brand new reoccurring character on the Ben Jarofsky show, Phyllis. <laughs> Springfield Pilot. Okay, Phil, that's enough. <laughs> Phil's just like, give me that microphone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here, this just came in. Shout out to the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard. Capital Facts' his own Rich Miller. <laughs> okay, get him on the leash. Uh, it says here, uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker announced today that Illinois' ban on evictions will be extended until November 22nd as state officials continue to send grants to Illinois residents struggling to make ends meet. Pritzker has extended the ban on evictions four times since he lifted the stay-at-home order at the end of May when the state began to make significant process in slowing the spread of the coronavirus. The state's ban on evictions will stretch into a seven into its seven-month uh, with the governor's order. State officials are in the process of notifying those who won grants from a lottery used to distribute more than $300 million in help to landlords and tenants struggling to make ends meet. Funds began to flow on Thursday to those who applied for assistance paying their rent and mortgage and should be completed by November 10th. This is according to officials with the Illinois Housing Development Authority. So, hey, good news on that, huh? Yeah, it is good news. Uh, and I, uh, by the way, I have to, I, uh, when you was listening to you read that, D, I was thinking of uh, Jimmy Dore. We, I remember I talked about him yesterday, how Jimmy Dore made, went on uh, um, Tucker, the Tuckster, uh, to make a direct <laughs> appeal. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Dore uh, here. 
Jimmy Dore went on. Let that hair get a little gray. I like that, Jimmy. Don't dye it. Be you. All right. Uh, Jimmy Dore went on to uh, Tucker Carlson's show to make a direct appeal to Donald Trump to try to uh, increase the stimulus. It kind of worked. I had to tell you this. I meant to tell you this at our pre-show meeting, but I got distracted at our pre-show meeting. Uh, we have donuts and coffee at that pre-show meeting. Oh, no, we do not. <laughs> we do not. I wish. No donuts, no coffee. Um, what, anyway, did Trump uh, like give him a shout out, like mess yeah, his name up? I'd a- like to thank Timmy Moore. <laughs> he didn't give him a shout out, but he, he, he started talking. He was babbling. Uh, I forget where on Fox or something about there should be more stimulus, more stimulus. I'm like, oh, my God. I, of course, there's no follow up to this, or at least there hasn't been yet. Uh, you know, and it could just be the steroids speaking. <laughs> Lord, no, they're pumping so many drugs into Donald Trump these days. You don't know if it's the steroids speaking or you know what, whatever uh, drug could be speaking or he just be out of his mind but all of a sudden he started going there should be more they should get more money i'm like oh my god he heard that he heard jimmy Dore say that and it sunk in it pierced the brain oh he flip-flopped no that's no that's a different sound oh flip-flop is uh, piercing this, the brain is oh, so there's boyoing and doyoing. Okay, yes, come on, get it right. So sorry, Vilma, so sorry. Hold on, Vilma, could you help him out oh, a little bit? Vilma is the other uh, reoccurring character on the program, <laughs> the 90 year old production wizard that helps me out on the Ben Jarofsky show. And I tested very positively in a in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So. No, I tested uh, perfectly this morning. Oh, meaning, meaning I tested negative. What the hell are you talking oh, about? <laughs> it's the steroids, all right? Well, that's actually before the steroids, so maybe that was just reefer. Right. Who knows? Anyway, um, but um, Jimmy Dore, keep fighting, Jimmy. Go back on uh, Tucker Carlson. All right, before we roll out of here, we have one last 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. This is a 2020 Illinois general election candidate update. Great work, Vilma, on that one. (laughs) All right. Like I said here uh, earlier in the program, we have not one, not two, but three, count them, three political campaign ads to play from the 13th congressional district candidate. uh, Second time's a charm, the Democrat, Betsy Dirksen Londrigan. All right. So I have the press releases for uh, these ads here. I'll read a bit of the press release and then we will play the ads. All right. It says here today, Betsy Dirksen Londrigan's campaign released three new television ads highlighting the contrast between Dirksen Londrigan's campaign focused on access to qualify afford or access to I cannot read today uh, between Dirks and Londrigan's campaign focused on access to quality affordable health care beating this pandemic and rebuilding our economy and Congressman Rodney Davis's failure to support central Illinois families the 32nd ads will air in the Champagne Springfield Decatur and St. Louis media markets as part of a district-wide buy that includes broadcast cable and and digital platforms. I forgot to mention, I went to uh, downstate Illinois over the weekend, and uh, oh my 
these poor people downstate, they're right by Missouri. So not only do they get the <laughs> Illinois local campaign ads, they also get the Missouri campaign ads. I kept seeing <laughs> Betsy Londrigan is horrible. And then I would see uh, this person in Missouri is horrible. She didn't wear a mask. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's just back and forth both states. Good Lord, I feel sorry for all those people. But we have three ads here. So uh, let's start it off right now with our first ad. I believe this ad is titled leader. Betsy Dirksen Londrigan, and I approve this message. What Betsy Londrigan went through with her son in the ICU for weeks made her the leader on health care that she is today. But Rodney Davis, he's not being honest on health care. Davis says he'd never vote for anything that would hurt his own family. That's easy to say if you have access to a gold-plated congressional health care plan. He voted 11 times to gut protections for pre-existing conditions for everyone else. Rodney Davis is in it for himself. Ooh, spicy. Well, I like that. By the way, that's a, a relatively normal human voice. You, did you notice that? Yeah, that's the, up your alley uh, right there. Yeah, it, it wasn't like... <laughs> <laughs> well, none of them sound like that, but I know what you mean. <laughs> it was like a normal guy. So good Hi, for I'm you, just a normal Betsy. guy, man. You know, I just go to 7-Eleven every day, get a soda. Hey, you know, Lodrigan's cool. <laughs> yeah, I keep that an A. All right, we do stars, but sure, an A. <laughs> All right, what, what's the top stars? I forgot. Four, five, 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 five. There we five. go. There we go. All right, on to ad number two. This ad is titled "Problem." I'm Betsy Dirksen Londrigan, Hi. and I approve this message. <laughs> the pandemic devastated our family business overnight. The PPP loan program was supposed to be a lifeline for small businesses, but we got the runaround while political insiders got the money first and funds ran out. Rodney Davis's family got to the front of the line for a million dollar payout and he voted to keep it secret while businesses like ours suffered. Rodney Davis is in it for himself. Oh, we have a theme here. Yeah, Rodney Davis is in it for himself. I didn't know that, by the way. I've not... Obviously, oh, confession time. Oh, I should boy. never confess to anything. I check like, you know, I know everything. Yeah, that's oh. why you would be a crappy politician. I know everything. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'd be like, they'd ask me to debate a question. I go, I don't know. I never, I, I don't know about that. Uh, I never heard of that before. And they go, how could you not know that? And, that, your, and your campaign staff's like, come on, man, lie. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Ramada, like, she goes, Indian Americans are the second uh, largest group of uh, uh, immigrants in the country. I go, who's number one? She goes, well, obviously, you didn't read the homework that you gave me. No, I read it. I did. I swear. I just didn't see that in there. Uh, anyway, I didn't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that about getting the million. That's like DB getting all that money uh, that um, uh, the, the farm aid. Now, when you DB say DB, who are you talking about there? Big feller, downstate Illinois, Clay County's own, Darren Bailey, soon to be state senator, now state rep. He's the face of the Republican Party these days. He doesn't wear a mask. He's not afraid. He'll go out there and spread COVID. Give it to everybody. DB for state senate. <laughs> yeah. I'm Darren Bailey, and I approve this ad. Here you go. Here's the ad. <laughs> when the liberals up in Chicago are worried about COVID and wearing a mask. DB didn't wear a mask. DB went and he sneezed in their faces. <laughs> COVID's for cowards. Hi, I'm DB and I approve this ad. Dang, there you go. we gotta make some Darren Bailey ads. Darren <laughs> Bailey, who is gonna feed them hugs? 
All right, we got one more ad to pay uh, ad to play here from Betsy Dirks and Londrigan. Uh, the third ad is titled "Back." This is what the coronavirus has done to our economy. I'm Betsy Dirks and Londrigan. It's going to take a lot of work, but we can bring our cities and towns back. It starts by beating this virus with access to quality, affordable health care for everyone, lower premiums and prescription prices, rebuilding manufacturing here at home, job training programs, and help for local small businesses to create jobs. I approve this message because this is how we get Illinois open for business again. Mm-hmm. Get open for business again. That, you know, that's good. The positive message to you. I don't, you see, I know nothing. Okay. I'm no David Axelrod. I never ran a campaign. Oh, who is? Yeah. I know there's only one DA. Uh, but, uh, you know, I always, the jaded, cynical person that I am, after all these years covering Chicago politics, I thought negativity is what works. She's going a little positive there. So good luck with that one. I think the negative things uh, <laughs> probably get you a little farther in life, but. Good to be positive, D. It is good to be positive. And that was a 2020 Illinois General Election Candidate Update. That was a 2020 Illinois General Election Candidate Update. Hey, now. All right, everybody. We're about to ride out here for the weekend. But remember, you can download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast on Saturday. A city council synopsis with Dave Glowatz covering the October 7th city council meeting on Sunday. Gardening guru and what? Gardening guru. No, I could be so mad. I am an environmentalist, Dennis. And environmentalist, yeah. Mike Novak. He's going to be talking about the latest uh, going on with his show, The Mike Novak Show, and so much more. And finally, on Monday, uh, the long-awaited return of our favorite grassroots political activist, the one, the only, Amisha Patel of Grassroots Collaborative. All these will be available by 5 a.m. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Send us an email like Steve did, all right? Show at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show at gmail.com. And, hey, leave us a voicemail over the weekend. If you're bored, got nothing going on, like, I'm... Call these two weirdos up. Give them a voicemail. Do it. We will play it. I mean, more than likely, if you don't say anything insane. 708-658-4788. That number again. 708-658-4788. Hope you all have a great weekend. Yes, indeed. I want to thank Ramon Hussein for the Sun-Times. Great job, as always. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of all in Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Romana will tell you, back home and on, they call him Dr. Doobie. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. And I tested very positively in a in another sense. So this morning, yeah, I tested positively toward negative, right? So no, I tested uh, 
perfectly this morning. Because of it, 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 meaning, meaning I tested negative.